Good afternoon, my friends. Good evening. We're here today. Welcome back to another episode of Tear Health with Dr. G. Joining us here on this Wednesday evening, we have another fierce show. And so those that have been following me on social media all week, you know I've been waiting to do this show for such a long time now. My tribute to speech, language pathologist. I'm glad you're joining us here. I've got my social distancing expert hat on, and we are here at home. I want you guys to pull a chair, relax, pour yourself a cup of green tea, maybe a coffee, and just really be amazed by the talent that we have here on To Your Health with Dr. G. I'm so excited to bring another show. And we're continuing this series right now, kind of COVID programming for the next few weeks. We've got one more week, then we'll get a COVID show coming back at you on May, um, on May 6th. But I want to make sure that we're still making sure that other important health issues that are out there are talked about. And today's show is no different. I'm so excited to have everybody back here on Tear Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board certified internal medicine physician practicing out of Edward Hospital uh, in Naperville, Illinois. I'm also a member of the American of Lifestyle Medicine, hashtag Life Medicine. But we're here today to really break down today's awesome topic, bridging the communication gap speech language pathology. So I'm super excited to make sure that we are just giving you the right information. You know, that's on the show. Uh, each week, having an expert panel to really break down the important health things for you. And again, we're gonna have a great conversation today. Before we get started, of course, and I, and you introduce, and I introduce my guests, I wanna hit you with a quick disclaimer. Not to your health with Dr. G is for informational entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today's evening, and uh, I'm just really excited to have everybody here. So thank you all for joining us, and we got a great treat for you. So what I want to do is get right into it. Um, you know, speech linkage pathology is, is an amazing amazing field. And what we're really trying to do is create more awareness of the opportunity at hand. As I've been preparing for this show, I realized some gaps that I could have used in the care of my patients by utilizing more speech language pathologists. I do have a personal story to share, though. My son, Evan, uh, worked speech language pathologist when he was having swallowing issues uh, a few years ago. So I know speech language pathologists uh, in the diverse things that they do, and I've, and I've experienced it from my own family and my loved ones. But I want to make sure that you out there have the opportunity to do the same. So without further ado, I want to introduce my amazing guest. Let's get right into this. My first guest joining us here via live, Zoom live here on Facebook is Lisa Osher, MSCCC SLP. Lisa is a certified and licensed speech language pathologist. She's an inpatient speech language pathologist at Edward Hospital, part of Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out at www.eehealth.org. Lisa, welcome to the show. Can you hear me? Okay. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, really, um, how did you choose speech language pathology? And maybe a few opening remarks about what it's like to be a, a speech language pathologist. Um, so I've been work I've I've been a practicing clinician for eight years now, and my entire career has been working within the adult uh, population. I started my career in Kansas City um, and eventually moved up to the Northwest suburbs. Um, primarily my area of expertise is in acute care, um, so working in the hospital. Um, I started out, I went to the University of Illinois for my undergrad and then I attended Rockhurst University um, for my master's. Um, I know, why did I choose this career? I know as cliche as it sounds, I knew I always wanted to work with a, you know, a profession that helped people. 
and I always had an interest in language and communication. Initially, I was interested in kind of deaf culture and I wanted to become an American Sign Language interpreter. Um, it was then that I found out that SLPs actually work within that population, so that's why I pursued it in undergrad. Um, while I was there, I took years of ASL and then also studied under a professor, um, did research with him who studied sign speech disorders and um, who studied uh, speech disorders and sign modalities. Um, and so when I started grad school, it kind of started to shift interest because I was really interested in the adult neuro population. Um, I had an opportunity to work at a hospital out there for 12 weeks and I just fell in love working with, the, with adults and I really never looked back from that point. Um, I think speech pathology is a great career um, because there are just so many like little facets and it's nice to, it's nice to have chosen a, you know, my path on the adult population, but my degree in schooling allowed me to change my um, area of specialization whenever I desire. Um, and I think that's really cool about the field and there's so many areas um, that we get to learn about and work with, so. Wonderful. Well, thanks for coming out to the show today. And I really appreciate the time you're taking to really help uh, put some more education and awareness out there for a field that is certainly underutilized. We want to utilize it more. So I want to introduce my next guest. Uh, she is awesome as well, too, just as Lisa is. And so I want to introduce Emily Schmidt, SLP, BCBA. Emily is a certified and licensed speech language pathologist. She's a board certified behavior analyst, and she supervises her speech language pathology at Naperville District 203 schools. Check her out, www.naperville203.org. Emily, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, please tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this field of speech pathology? And maybe a few opening remarks about uh, the really the sheer awesomeness of what you do. Sure. Um, I started out wanting to be a pharmacist, and um, after taking a couple of classes, I kind of felt like, you know, my heart really wasn't into it. And someone said, hey, have you ever thought about being a speech language pathologist? And I was like, what's that? And so um, she told me a little bit about it. I did some volunteer work and started taking some courses and really just like fell in love with it and thought, this is what I should do for the rest of my life. And I did my undergrad and grad at Northern Illinois University, and I've worked primarily within the public school setting um, in a variety of different roles. And um, one thing that I really, really love is the impact that language and communication has on so many other aspects of life. Language and communication is absolutely the foundation for literacy and functional communication and reading. And so it's just a lot of fun being able to work in a, a field in an area that impacts so many other facets of life. Wonderful. Thanks, Emily, for coming out to the show today. So there you guys have it. You met an amazing crew of amazing speech language pathologists. We're going to break it down, though. I want to start, keep it kind of one-on-one. We're going to start about a little bit more of really the nitty-gritty of, of really what speech pathology is and also really a lot of its uses. Again, we talked, I talked in the beginning, the opening statements about how speech pathology, speech language pathology is underutilized. And I've, I've, I've personally challenged myself to utilize them more as a clinician because I'm always hashtag lifelong learning and you should be too, but there's so many opportunities out there to meet the health and life needs of the communities that we serve. So I want to ask this question to Lisa. Lisa, uh, just give me a, just give me a like a one-on-one. -on -one. What is speech language pathology? So really speech language pathologists are experts in communication and swallowing. 
Um, we help diagnose and treat a variety of disorders. Um, but I think it's important to say that we're also counselors, researchers, advocates, and educators, and we work in a variety of different settings, including schools, hospitals, clinics, universities, and even in people's homes. We work with people across the lifespan, so birth to death. Um, whenever I tell people what I do, and I say I'm a speech pathologist and I work in a hospital, I always get the same response, oh, I didn't realize that speech therapy was prevalent after childhood. <laughs> Um, and I usually kind of make a joke explaining, saying that we kind of got a bogus name with speech therapy and that we really should be called head and neck therapists because we target everything from your neck up, including your brain. <laughs> well, that's a great breakdown. Emily, let me ask you this. When you're in that situation and you're explaining to someone what you do, how do you respond to that? And how do you break down speech language? You know, I really... I take it a very high level. I'm like, I teach people to do the things that I love most in this world. I love to talk. I love to socialize. I like to eat. I like to read. I like to listen to others. And that is really the role of a speech language pathologist to teach students and adults who are having challenges with that, how to do those things that we love in life. Wonderful. You know, I think about it uh, as, as just as the totality, and both of you just really talked about the, the broad uh, approach to speech language pathology, I think of it as just so encompassing of so many different things from everything from voice to swallowing to, to, co to the cognitive aspects of communication to working with people with dementia and things that you do. And, and it's just and like from a hospital standpoint, I used to always say, well, speech language pathologists, they, they're the ones that do the swallowing evaluation for somebody who had a stroke. And, and that's a very, a very limited and certainly uh, ridiculous uh, concept to say that only you guys do that. You do so much more. And it hasn't been until I had to have more clinical experience and then actually even experiencing things with my son and just learning more about it because I always want to learn. I just find out you guys just do so much and it's so diverse. It's a hospital setting and things like that. So, so let me ask you, ask you, ask you about this. You know, as you, as you both, and I'll ask this question to Lisa first, as you, as you are in your, your situation in the, in the hospital, what kind of what kind of patients are you seeing that people may not realize where speech language pathology comes in? Um, we see a lot of patients, obviously, like you said, with stroke, um, head injury, but we also see patients with respiratory system issues, cancer, even traumatic injury. Um, and oftentimes those diagnoses result in issues with swallowing and communication. And how about you, Emily, when you're in, you're in the school setting, you know, what kind of students are, are, are you seeing? Are you, are you seeing, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's more than just somebody who, you know, quote unquote, the, the, the impression of just a kid who stutters, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very broad. I would say a big role that we play within the school setting is working with individuals who have language disorders and how that language impacts the child's ability to understand what's happening in school, understand what's being read to them, able to express themselves with others. You know, but beyond just a, a language disorder, we work with individuals and students who have autism and who have Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and a variety of other disorders beyond just speech sound production or stuttering. So those typical things that people might think of when they hear speech. Wonderful. So I want to ask you, ask you this, you, you know, here we are today. We're really, what I really want to get people out there that are listening to us and join us here live on Facebook, it's just again about the, uh, the opportunities that are here, the opportunities to take advantage of these expert clinicians because they truly are, speech, speech, speech language pathologists 
are truly clinicians in what they do. They're diagnosticians in what they do. So mark my words on that, that's absolutely a fact. And so, so we want to create that opportunity. And this is something that we've always been with, for you that have been playing my show for such a long time, is we want to talk about the opportunities that are there. Uh, we can't dwell on the past of maybe any potential misses, but we can work on the current time and plan for the future. And when it comes down to your health and your well-being, it's important to know that there are amazing resources right at your disposal, but you got to know who they are. And so I'm so excited that we're having this conversation. So let me ask this question, and I'll ask this question to, I'll come back at you, Emily, on this one. What, generally speaking, just to, just to give the public a little bit more of an awareness of the education that you guys go through, what is the general education path of a speech-language pathologist? The path of a, uh, to become a speech-language yes, pathologist? Correct. Okay. Yeah, so the coursework is a graduate level coursework through an accredited program, and that includes a supervised experience where the uh, student SLP would have experience, usually within a hospital and a school setting. And then um, after they finish their graduate coursework, we take a test called the practice exam, and upon successful completion of that, we're able to work our first year underneath the guidance of a mentor, and that's called our clinical fellowship year. And after we do that, we can become certified, which is the three C's that are after most SLPs made, so clinical certificate of confidence. Is there, just out of curiosity from my own professional understanding, is there a, like a national nomination or things like that? Yeah, so we have a governing body called the American Speech Language Hearing Association, called ASHA, and that's our national governing body who does um, our certification. Wonderful, so thanks for breaking that down. Let me ask you this question, Lisa. When you think just generally speaking, uh, and, and we're trying to, again, create more awareness and know that, realize that it is speech-language pathology is an underutilized uh, discipline, who's using it now? Do we have any statistics on who's using speech-language pathology? Is, is, it, is it, you know, uh, statistics from even, you know, elderly use or, or middle adult age, age use or school or kid use or, you know, how much is being utilized? And then I guess the second question, I'm going to ask one for Emily to think about it, or maybe at least you can answer too. What kind of capacity is there? Is there room to reach the needs of the community if we start creating more opportunity for people to take advantage of speech-language pathology? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, surprising. I think the majority of in the, the, the population that we treat is generally adult. I think according to the American, according to ASHA, um, our um, statistics say that 60% of our caseloads are adults. And then the rest of that, that 40% kind of fall within infancy, preschool, school age individuals. Um, so yeah, there's a big swing is a lot with adults. Um, and then what was the second part of your question? <laughs> the second part is, is, is there opportunity out there? Like, is there a capacity or, or I mean, are, are, do we have opportunity to, to fill those, to fill those voids? If we, if we want people uh, to are there enough out there to address the needs of the communities? So it's a, it's actually a really growing profession in the next couple of years. I think it's supposed to grow about 20%. Um, and that's, you know, largely due to the baby boomers right now, 
Um, we're looking at um, there are more people living over the age of 65 in the United States than there ever have been in the history of the United States. So as that, that age group continues to age, we know that more medical complications are going to follow with them. And so that need for speech pathology is going to just continue to grow with them. Emily, what's your take on some of the needs out there? You know, are there from your perspective, and I know you're wearing, you're wearing uh, the, the school district have had been versed and trained in other clinical scenarios, clinical settings. What's the capacity out there for, for your end? Sure. You know, um, from our school district perspective, about 8% of all students in our school district receive services from a speech language pathologist. And, um, of those students who have IEPs, 60%, 16% are identified as having a speech and language impairment. And those percentages compare, uh, are very much on par nationally and through the state. And I would say that once students are enrolled in our schools, we as a school district have a responsibility to do child find, which means screen students actively seek to identify students who have an impairment. Um, that may be impacting their education. I think an opportunity for the public to be aware of is our early childhood services. And so a child between the ages of three and five, if the family or the, a pediatrician ha thinks there may be a concern with the child's development, speech and language or otherwise, they could bring their concerns to the local early childhood department and um, have a screening done and possibly that screening might lead to an evaluation and services. And so there's an opportunity there for the public to be aware of this opportunity to engage in those screenings that our early childhood departments have, because they know that there may be students out there that we don't know about because they're not in our schools. Emily, you, you, I want to piggyback on what you said, uh, especially about some of this opportunity. I can go back to the story that I told at the beginning. Uh, we noticed uh, our son, uh, a few years back, having trouble eating and and, uh, and swallowing and, and brought it to the attention of our pediatrician. And we're glad to have a really good pediatrician who uh, had a connection to uh, get assessed and then actually worked with a speech language pathologist. And so 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 you, you hit the head on the nail that that the sooner that somebody, and I'm sure Lisa will back it up from, from your end, from a hospital standpoint, the sooner that somebody has an opportunity to take advantage of those speech language pathology services, the timing is now, anything in health, you know, we don't want to wait and delay a diagnosis. So I want to ask this question to Lisa. Take us through kind of an initial, just to give people an understanding, to give us an initial, say somebody has a, has a particular issue. Mm -hmm. How does that whole process work? And then I'll ask that question for Emily as well too. But how does the process work from, from receiving a consultation or a call, your intake? What is, take us through that process from an intake assessment to then a diagnosis and potentially a treatment strategy? Um, so for us, kind of the continuum of care in the hospital begins with a physician order, so coming from you, and it's you know largely due to a complaint or a concern for a speech-related deficit. Um, from there, you kind of proceed with an evaluation using a standardized assessment, um, and also my own clinical judgment. Um, the, evaluate, the evaluation sometimes results in additional testing, but the big takeaway is talking to the patient, hearing their concerns, validating their concerns, but then also looking at their medical history, their comorbidities, and understanding the person as a whole, I think is just really essential and part of that assessment process. And after you have all the data to make those, like a good diagnosis, then from that point, you can create a plan of care. 
Um, and, you know, a plan of care can, you know, include continued services. And also part of that is determining what should take place um, and where it should take place. Um, rehab can include, you know, strategies like, you know, with feeding disorders, like changing the position of your head when you're eating or drinking and managing the amount of food that you take in at one time. Um, also, rehab can also include exercises to strengthen those muscles that are be effective if you're having a swallowing problem. Um, but the big component of what we do is lots and lots and lots of education. I think it's really important why, um, it's really important that patients understand the why. Why is this happening to me and what is the plan? And then also the what, like what's the plan to improve? Um, as the rehab process kind of continues, um, it continues to a point where either you're satisfied with the growth and there's no progress or you've regained the prior functioning that you had. Um, that process can take anywhere, anywhere from days to weeks to achieve. Um, it's, you know, to say more that, that therapy is not easy and it takes hard work, persistence and dedication. Um, I also think a takeaway point in my setting is that I'm really at the beginning of the continuum of care. You know, patients don't stay at the hospital for very long. So unfortunately, my time with my patient is truly diagnostic. I'm getting that ball rolling. What are your deficits? What do you need? How can you get them? Where's the best place to go? Whether that's an inpatient facility or going home and you receive you know, services in your house or outpatient. Um, so I'm kind of at the beginning of that continuum of care, but um, the process continues. Emily, take us through the typical intake that you would see in a school setting, because I think parents that are listening to our show tonight uh, may, uh, may learn some things that are out there, learn about some opportunities. So give us an example of just kind of, you know, maybe I'm putting you on the spot, right, Emily? Uh, like, like the most common thing you might see, but just the general intake process, assessment, diagnosis, that kind of thing for what you set like from your end. Sure. You know, and first of all, a caveat is every student and is, is unique and individualized. So, um, but generally speaking, it starts with a screening, either from the family or from a teacher or the speech language pathologist themselves. And then based off of a screening, if that screening shows, hey, you know, we think there might be something going on, we'll move into getting parent permission to do an evaluation and we'll discuss that collaboratively with the family and the teacher. And then um, we'll do that evaluation, usually a standardized assessment and some informal observations and classroom data, parent input. And then after that, we'll hold what's called an eligibility meeting. And uh, we'll have the family and the classroom teacher and other relevant people part of that meeting. And we'll look at, hey, what, did this, what information did we gain? And then from there, this is where it's a little bit different in the school setting, is we really have to look at not only determining is there a disorder present, so is there a disability, but we also have to determine does this disability have an impact on the student's educational performance. And in order to move forward with services, we have to say yes to those two questions. So that's mm -hmm. where it may be a little bit different from a clinical setting where they might say, yes, there is a disorder and we're gonna provide services. In the school setting, we have to answer yes to those two questions. Is there a disability and does it impact education? And if the answer is yes, then we collaboratively with the family develop an education plan that's called an individualized education plan. And then from there, we uh, look at what are the student's strengths and their needs. 
what goals do we think should be addressed and what kind of services are good that, is that going to look like and then afterwards we implement that education plan and we review that annually Wonderful. I, I like how you said, by the way, you said a few, a few words ago about family and sharing a plan with a family. And I think that's something that uh, a lot of people may have some misconceptions about that speech pathology is very, uh, from, from the patient standpoint, is very, is very individual effort. Think of like, you know, when you have traditional rehab, say I hurt my knee and I go see a physical therapist. It's really just kind of a one-on-one, generally speaking. But, 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 but I like how what you said, Emily, there's really a holistic approach, especially when we're talking about dealing with young children. Yeah, absolutely. Parents are by far our biggest like advocate, biggest team member, biggest coach, like I, biggest cheerleader, like that, that parent is my key person. And I would say another key person, there's lots of, there's lots of key people, but uh, we have some really great teaching assistants within our school system and they're, they're another huge partner where, you know, if we can just really work together, those people know our students the best and are just huge, huge partners for us. Wonderful. Let me ask you this question, Lisa. I'm putting you on the spot because why not? Uh, uh, <laughs> what's the best, I'm gonna ask this question. Uh, I ask this question to most of my guests on the cover of my show. What's the best part about your job? So truly the best part of my job, um, Hmm. I'm trying to think. There's so many. <laughs> um, so I think the most, the, the most rewarding part of my job is that I get to help people in a very unique way. After a traumatic event, which impairs swallowing or, or communication or even sometimes both, you know, people take for granted these functions and don't realize how, how horrible life would be without them. It's how we connect with our loved ones. It's how we have meaningful conversations, like sharing a meal or have, going out for drinks with friends. Now, imagine that gone in an instant. Um, I've actually had family members say to me, like, I really don't care if my dad can do this or that again, but I just want to hear him talk again. Or I want him to be able to understand me when I say I love you um, to him. And I've had even patients say to me, I want to be able to drink a big glass of water and not choke in public. Um, as a therapist, I can help make that a reality. Um, I also love that every day I get to use science and research to guide my practice, but at the same time, I get to tap into my humanity and connect with people on a very, very personal level. Wonderful. How about you, Emily? What's the best part you like about your job? Sure. You know, in my job, I am primarily working with our SLPs and not necessarily um, directly working with our students, but when I think about the span of my job, what has been the best. And I would say hands down when I get to hear a child speak for the first time. And especially when other people have said, he's too old to talk, he'll never learn to talk. It is hands down when that child speaks, it is the most beautiful sound I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that's so, that's so awesome. You know, I think, I think for me, even, uh, even when I do, I, I just love what I do, of course, and people that watch the show know, I, and I love that, you know, we're all in this, in this um, life, we all have our purpose, like we're, a lot of us are in this to serve, and, and the service that you are providing is, is amazing, and, and again, we can't speak highly enough of it, and, and want to know that, again, there's more opportunity out there, but I think a lot of us that are good, and we have good, we have good intentions, we're good natured, we want to help each other out, uh, and I think that's the, that's the reality of, as, as I said a little bit earlier about the humanity of it all, 
And so I think it's just great to have you guys here. So speaking of, of opportunity in helping out with others and we're creating awareness, I wanna ask this question and I'll ask this to both of you. So in about, in less than two weeks, we're gonna be in May. And in the month of May is actually Better Hearing and Speech Month across the country. Hashtag SLPs, gotta love them. Uh, so <laughs> let me ask a question. So in a, in, you know, we're trying to create this awareness and there's gonna be a huge campaign going on nationwide, uh, certainly from your guys' governing body uh, next, next month. So how do we keep this conversation going? Well, let me ask Lisa this question, like what, what is the next steps from your end to, 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 to keep speech language pathology at the forefront of people's minds? Um, so like in the future going forward? Absolutely, I'm gonna have you solve big issues. We're doing uh, meeting the, meeting the minds. <laughs> how, do we, how do we keep this, keep this conversation going? Because I don't want this conversation to, to end today, and but obviously lead into next month, a big national campaign. How do we just kind of get the message out there that, that, that your profession is here to continue to serve our populations? Um, well, I think being, um, right now there's a lot, right now we're in this like COVID pandemic, so I know that there's a lot of telehealth going on and I know Emily can probably speak to that greatly, especially. Um, and so I think just encouraging communication, um, you know, um, encouraging, um, literacy like you know for emily for like the, the kiddos while they're at home um being present and being advocates for our loved ones when they are in the acute setting um i'm trying really hard to be present with family members because right now they can't even come into the hospital to see their loved ones um so yeah just kind of trying to keep that conversation going um, with what we do and how we can make um, good impacts in their life day to day in terms of healthier lifestyles with feeding and swallowing and communication. Wonderful. Emily, how do we keep this conversation going forward? I think like a lot of things, it all stems from relationships. So building relationships with uh, people that aren't necessarily SLPs. So with our doctors, with our principals, with our ministers, with our teachers, with our occupational therapists and building those relationships and in those relationships, carrying forth, like you guys said, those conversations and in those conversations, sharing the stories of our value and our purpose and what we're doing and what's changing. And through doing those relationship building and the conversations, I think that can continue to spread that awareness and of the knowledge of what we do and the impact that we have. Wonderful. Let me ask this to both of you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big tech person. Uh, a lot of people know that we try to have tech, although I was having a little bit of tech. Those of you that are watching had a little bit of tech issue before we went live, that's all right. But I, I try to be a tech person and I understand that, that you know, a lot of fields have had to evolve. <laughs> and we're trying to figure out how do we continue to provide a service to those that need it when you cannot be physically present with someone. And so we've had to evolve. We've had to do telemedicine and, and other kind of outlets. But, but how do you think just kind of, you know, it, since you both have been practicing for quite, quite some time, how was it like when you first started practicing and how's it now? What has changed in, in your perspective with your field? I'll start with you, Lisa. I think Lisa, Lisa, you might have frozen. That's all right. Uh, Emily, you're still there. What, how do you, how do you yeah. start out? How has the evolution happened from your end? 
a big piece in from what I've seen is technology and just the huge shift from technology from a variety of different factors. So for example, um, we call something that students use to communicate when they don't, they can't speak with their voice, um, they use communication devices. And so starting out those communication devices were huge and they weighed a ton and kids couldn't even like carry their own communication devices around. And now they're small, they're on iPads and they're on mini iPads and kids are able to just like carry their iPads out to the you know playground and communicate on it, even if they can't verbally speak. Uh, things like the technology that we have now with text-to-speech and speech-to-text extensions that students have on their devices is amazing. And I couldn't have even imagined that we would have the type of software we have now 10, 15 years ago. So that's just been a huge, just technology in general has been a huge game changer. That's awesome. I, you know, I about how even things will evolve, what we're doing now in 2020 and how to look in 2035, for example, and we kind of look back on it like, you guys are doing that? But it's been <laughs> amazing, a technology boom, uh, and certainly another way to reach people, to connect with people. Uh, we still want to have the power of connection and, and changing, inspiring people's lives and, and using technology through that. And for you guys to continue to be forward thinkers and innovators and in what you, you did, you know, how you approach something when you were first in, first doing this, I imagine Emily, you know, now with the experience and, and things like that, you approach it differently, correct? Or potentially approach it differently. Yeah, yes and no. You know, what what is new to me now um, is the same way I approached it 15 years ago because there were things 15 years ago that were new to me. And so I think that as Lisa mentioned earlier, uh, speech language pathologists are generally scientists and analytical by nature. And so we use that analytical nature and that scientific knowledge to embrace new things and evaluate new things and then apply new things and kind of continue that cycle of inquiry and trying out new things. Wonderful. Uh, so what I get into, we're just going to try to get a really quick, con uh, a quick connection again. Uh, Lisa Osher just uh, just got a little bit disconnected, but we're going to let her back in. We're going to keep this thing going because we have an amazing conversation. And what I want to do is I want to get into something uh, that we do each before before we get into Miss versus Facts. Let me just say this. First of all, again, I want to just give a huge shout out to the speech language pathologists out there and thank them for what they do. So those of you that are listening out there that are speech language pathologists, young, old, uh, seasoned, retired, or brand new into the field, uh, you're in an exciting field. You're in a field that is growing, as my panelists have said, and really the opportunity to just do what you wanna do, to do the best you can out there. And the great thing is that you can be super creative in what you're doing to meet the demands of the people that we serve. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna get into something called uh, Miss versus facts. Uh, it's something that we do each week on Dr. G, uh, and it's all about setting the record straight on everything. So I want to make sure that uh, those of you that are out there uh, really set the. We really want to. We really want you to get the information that you can get from vetted resources. We want to make sure that you're able to to do what you can do, and make sure you have the right tools to be successful in your life and your well-being. So here we go. I'm going to do the first. Sorry, I got a little bit of a bouncy. Uh, a little bit of a bouncy camera here as I'm trying to balance it on my 
uh, desk. Oh, that's all right. So here we go. The first question is what I'm going to do, Emily, is I'm going to say a statement. And I'll help out with this if I can. I'll give you the hard ones and I'll keep me in the easy ones. But I'm going to say a statement and you say either myth or fact. So here we go. Uh, first statement here is speech language pathologists can develop personalized and interactive approaches to get the best results in their clients. Myth or fact? I would say fact, absolutely. We are highly skilled at creating individualized systems for our clients and our students to get them maximize the results. Wonderful. All right, here we go. The next one here is, here's a statement. Uh, I'll do this one. I'll, I like this one. Uh, uh, speech therapy can only be done with a qualified speech therapist. I'm going to say myth on that one. And it's just that that's kind of implies that only it's a one way thing. I think it's got to be interactive. So when you're working with children or other families, I want to involve everybody. So yes, your speech language pathologist will set up the programming for you, but, but, but I wanted to make sure that, that, that those of you out there know that, that, the, that the opportunities that are there can be very much inclusive. And when you think about family members and having kids, we want the parents to then be, be really um, invigorated that they want to be active participants in the care of their child as well, too. Here we go. Here's the next statement. Uh, can for I, you. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. I was going to make a segment on that. So um, in order to to do the evaluation and write the treatment plan, you you absolutely have to be a licensed and certified speech language pathologist. But oh, I would yes, absolutely like tag onto like that role of the SLP to train those the families and that they can absolutely carry over those treatment plans and the education plans. Wonderful. Thank you for giving some added clarity on that one. Here we go. All right. Next statement here. This one's for you, Emily. Speech pathologists work with people of all ages from birth until death. Myth or fact? Fact. Absolutely. Lisa said that earlier. Wonderful. That is, uh, that is absolutely a uh, fact, everybody. And again, uh, to, to, again, speech pathology does not just deal with one uh, just a one, you just see it's a voluntary population. Thank you. Here we go. I'll give you another one here, here Emily. Here's a, here's a statement. Adults with language disorders, either from a developmental issue or result of a brain injury, can also benefit from speech therapy, myth or fact. Fact, absolutely. Young or old, Please they can benefit. Wonderful. But it is very true. And, and again, me as a clinician, and I, yes, I see adults in my clinical practice. Uh, uh, there is opportunities. Uh, there are opportunities out there for the taking. And again, speech language pathologists from a clinical setting work with a whole host of medical professionals. You name it, they're working with them. They also work with a whole host of other allied health professionals too. Even just, I was going to say to tag team off of that. Going back to speech, just to illustrate that speech language pathologists work with older students. We at both of our high schools, we have about two hundred students at each of the high schools that receive service from a speech-language pathologist. Wonderful. Thanks, Emily. Here you go. Here's a statement. I like this one. I'm going to give this one for you. Here we go. Using, using quote, educational products such as DVDs or flashcards stimulates young children's language development. Myth or fact? Myth. Not myth, but I'm going to add a caveat. Along okay, give me the caveat. Please explain. Along, along, those, along those products, will not necessarily lead to increased language development. But it, when combined with an adult interaction, they, they could have some benefits. Okay, wonderful. And I think you cleared the air on that one because I think there's, there's parents out there that are like, okay, I wanna get the 
put upper hand on my on my kids' education. And so you might start them out with, uh, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, I'm not gonna lie, where you know you start out and get some educational DVDs and you wanna give your kid the upper hand, but, but as you said, that's not necessarily the truth all the time. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Here we go, I like this next statement here. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna do this one. I think I'm gonna do this one myself. I'll do myself an easy one, here we go. Uh, here's a statement. The only thing a speech pathologist does is help a person speak. That is an absolute myth. There's so many other things that speech pathologists do, speech language pathologists do. We talked about it early in the show. There's a whole host of things from the not just speech, but the cognitive stuff, swallowing disorders, voice, uh, auditory uh, challenges, sensory awareness. There's so many different things that create a really great diversity of the, of the fields within the overall discipline of speech language pathology. Here we go. Emily, I like this one for you. Uh, here's a statement. Speech pathology is not a health major or a job in the healthcare field. Myth or fact? That is a myth. And uh, is I'd like to highlight the U.S. News and World Report, when they came out with some of their best jobs, they listed in the healthcare field, SLTs was 18 in the healthcare field. So I think, you know, that totally dispels that myth. Wonderful. So thank you. And here we go. I'll do one more of these. Uh, and I think I'm going to give this one to you. I, you know, I, I try to participate when I can, Emily, but you know, this is how sometimes I got I to gotta put my amazing experts on the spot. So here we go. I like this last one here. Um, here we go. Use of an augmentative slash alternative communication device will make it less likely that my child will vocally speak. I know we didn't get into much, but myth or fact? Absolutely a myth. This is unequivocally dispelled in the research. So if you have a child or um, who is not talking verbally and needs to use a communication device to talk, it will absolutely not inhibit their ability to develop vocal speech. And the research shows that there, it will actually increase the likelihood that they'll develop vocal speech. Wonderful. Well, thank you for the clarity on that one. So there you guys have it, myths versus facts. So here we go. We have about five minutes left, and, uh, and it's been a really great conversation. I'm here with Emily Schmidt, uh, uh, my friend and colleague at the, at the Edward Hospital. Uh, Lisa Osher was on. There's just been some connection challenges, but we certainly thank her for her contributions to tonight's episode. We've got about five minutes left, and so I want to give this opportunity to kind, of, to kind of bring it on home. So I want to ask you this, Emily. Uh, what are some take home points today. For those out there listening to us, what are some take-home points that people can understand about creating more awareness and opportunity for the use of speech-language pathologists? Absolutely. I think that it really comes down to three key things. I think it's those relationships, the relationships with those other key partners. So your pediatrician, your uh, teacher, your family members, and having those relationships in order to uh, be able to get um, to share your concerns, to possibly get a referral to speech language early, to be able to build those relationships, to share, share the stories and start the conversations about the importance of speech language pathology. The second big thing, a uh, big takeaway is technology. You know, technology was a big thing that's on the forefront before COVID-19. And now with COVID-19, you're seeing the whole um, practice of telepractice just come alive. Um, so I think technology is really gonna be a big part of our future. Um, and the next thing, the last third thing is really up-leveling that collaboration. 
So not just I'm working with a multidisciplinary team, but that, that multidisciplinary team is really collaborating at an up level where we're all working on one common goal and we're all working together strategically to implement the intervention and the plan. Wonderful. So thank you, Emily. It's been awesome having you on the show. And let me give you my final thoughts to everybody, and then we'll sign on off. So uh, it's been a great show so far, and I'm just so happy to have had both Emily and Lisa on the show. So my final thoughts are this as far as speech-language pathology. You know, think about the opportunity that's, that's there. You know, I've really had to personally become very introspective. Uh, ever since I had my awareness with my son and, and having him involved in speech-language pathology, I mean, I'm trying to really work hard for my patients on finding where those needs are. So sometimes I'll just have people who have my patients see speech-language pathologists, even if I think it might be something that might be minor, but I don't want to say really minor in that sense. It doesn't matter what your challenges that you're dealing with. As long as you have the right resources, the right person to help you out with those challenges, you're gonna be better off for it in the long run. I've challenged myself, I've challenged my colleagues, I've challenged my profession to utilize all the resources that are available for people that are out there to help, to, to help them to continue to live active and healthy lives. And this is absolutely true with taking advantage of our great friends and colleagues that are part of the amazing discipline in the field of speech and language pathology. So I want to thank my guests today. It's been awesome. Oh my goodness, I've been so excited to chat, chat with you. I want to thank my guests. I want to read their credentials again. I want to thank uh, Emily Schmidt, Emily Schmidt, SLP, BCBA, certified and licensed speech language pathologist, board certified behavior analyst, and supervisor of speech language pathology at Naperville District 203 Schools. Check her out at www.naperville203.org. I also want to thank Lisa Osier uh, for joining us today, CCC SLP. Lisa is a certified and licensed language pathologist, inpatient speech language pathologist at Edward Hospital, part of Edward Owners Health. Check her out at www.eehealth.org. Oh, you've been listening and watching live here on Facebook via Zoom. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Hayes. Copyright 2020 by MDG Wellness, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode, everybody. We're going to be breaking down next week, same time next week. Everybody stay well, and I'll catch you guys later. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkos.com, and peace out.